life doesn't take place on the summit. Really, life takes place on the flanks of the mountain, on the sides of the mountain. And that's where you, that's where you learn. That's where you make mistakes and, and you brush yourself off and you, you know, re-engage and, and re-establish and, and re-educate and, and, and realign. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. During each podcast, we highlight someone who's transformed their organization or industry in a significant way. Today's guest is Jeff Evans. Jeff is the author of the book Mountain Vision, Lessons Beyond the Summit. His bio is incredibly diverse and exciting. I'll let him dig into that during the podcast. I'll introduce him using the terms he uses, adventurer, expedition leader, speaker and facilitator, TV personality, and physician's assistant and high altitude medic. That's quite a list of jobs. He does them all. He does them all really well, and he tells some great stories about them. Uh, I originally met Jeff a few weeks ago in Colorado and was completely blown away by his experience, his ability to communicate, his compassion, his toughness, and most of all, you know, how he puts his experience together into leadership and life lessons. Jeff is not an HR practitioner, but like the best HR practitioners, he has deep experience in the field, working with people, building teams, taking risks, and learning from them. I'm excited to have you hear about Jeff's views on risk-taking, what being a guide really means, how he's adopted a way of life that he calls the Sherpa attitude, using the concept of VUCA to prepare your life and business, and his advice for people starting their careers. I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation with Jeff. So without further delay, here's the Talent Playbook Podcast with Jeff Evans. Jeff, thanks for joining the podcast today. Uh, Really excited to have you here. Um, you know, we met a couple of weeks ago and uh, really spent some great time with you. I wanted to redo some of those questions that we asked a few weeks ago and, and just um, talk a little bit about your experience and um, your your professional experience, your leadership experience, and just try to tease out some of that stuff in today's podcast. So really, thanks for joining us. Very excited to have you here. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, this is a a good dovetail off of the uh, off the time that I got to spend with the with the group a few weeks ago, and they also yeah I'm looking forward to it. Great. So I, I think the best way to start here is to have you describe your job and um, talk <laughs> a little bit about how how long you've been doing that job. Well, um, that's kind of a loaded question. So <laughs> I I have a few jobs and I. I feel like I've always had a few jobs. I've, I've never really, um, I, I feel like I've got, uh, sort of constructive or deconstructive ADD. I'm not sure which one it is. I'm still trying to figure it out. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty restless. I have been since I was, since I can remember. And, um, you know, it, it, maybe it was a good omen, uh, because, you know, uh, that restlessness is what really, sort of push me to, to sort of try new things and do new things and, and, um, really not settle. So, um, you know, I've, I've always been fascinated with medicine since I was itty bitty and growing up and 
remember watching that show called Emergency back in the day. And yeah. Loving those LA, LA paramedic dudes. Those guys kind of planted the seed for me. And so medicine was always something I figured that I would do. Uh, and then, you know, then it, it my, my, uh, aspirations for medicine just kind of got interrupted by, by mountaineering and climbing. Um, and so at some point I, I wed those two things and, you know, I w- went on to be, uh, to go to physician assistant school and became a PA about 18 years ago. And before that was an EMT and, uh, and had, had done a, a fair bit of, you know, emergency room tech work. And mm-hmm. then, um, then the, the PA work. You know, has, has always been focused on the emergency room and, and trauma settings. Um, but then all the while, allowing uh, my climbing to stay sort of, uh, you know, front and center. You know, I, I chose to go to PA school. One of the main reasons was so that I could get in and get out and get back to climbing and being outside as opposed to, you know, looking at eight years of, of indentured servitude you know, to be a, a, a doc. So the PA route made sense. And, and then, you know, sort of kept climbing and, and, and the, the climbing and the, the medicine blended together at some point. And, you know, I ended up being, you know, the, 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 the expedition doc on most of, you know, all the trips for the past 20 years that I've been on and, and, um, you know, sort of focused my attention on altitude physiology and travel medicine and, and still kept my hands in the trauma game. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, those two, those two careers have, have kind of gone hand in hand uh, together through the years. And then, and then uh, about right when we got back from Everest in 2001, I got asked to do a, a speaking event and, and the speaking event uh, was terrible. It was nerve wracking. It was crappy. I was nervous and I hated every second of it. And, and that was none, you know, that was 17 years ago. And, and since then I have, really i've loved speaking to groups now i really enjoy it and i i love the the opportunity and the honor to have uh to have the attention of folks and being able to share stories with them and then my main job with that is to is to distill down the the messages and the themes that are applicable to all of us that you know personally and professionally to mm-hmm. from from these these experiences that i've had and, and I enjoy that process too, is the sort of unweaving the fabric a little bit and looking inside uh, of those experiences to determine where, what I've learned, and where I've, where I could be the better version of me. And so those, there you go. Those, those are my sort of three careers along with being an author uh, and writing a book. And, and I'm actually currently writing my second book right now. And so uh, and then I'm a, a husband and a father. I guess that's a, a full-time job as well. Yeah, so there's the there, that's the up to speed right there. So um, are, are you looking for more to do? Do you have enough to do? I guess is the question. <laughs> um, huh. do I have enough to do? I, I I don't really know if I have a good answer to that. I I think that you know I'm as I'm aging, um, I'm still. Uh, I'm still uh, curious and hungry, mm. but I'm not as restless as I used to be. Let's just, I guess I'll frame it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not as like crazy restless. You know, I'm happy sitting, um, you know, in my, I, I have a couple acres of property up in Evergreen and man, I'm getting good at being an old guy now. Like <laughs> I love 
sitting in my rocking chair and just watching, you know, wildlife around in my the back meadow behind my property, you know. So the restlessness has abated a little bit, but the the curiosity and the hunger has not. So yeah. I guess that's a sort of a loaded way to answer your question yeah, there. That's, that's great. That's great. So let, let's talk about climbing quickly because you, you talked a little bit about how medicine had always been in your blood and had been a fascination of yours. Um, I, I remember sitting around my grandma's house watching emergency when I was a kid too. So, um, must mean that was aired on Wednesday nights. That's when we were over at her house. So, um, yeah. I, I totally get that. I totally see that. What, where did the fascination and the love of, of climbing and mountaineering come from? Um, you know, that was, that was, uh, sort of, uh, I think burst from that restlessness, right? So, I grew up in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina and Virginia. And, uh, you know, my, none of my family were outdoorsy at all, like, like the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we didn't have, we didn't have a whole lot of resources and, you know, very low middle class. And, and so we didn't get out a lot. Uh, Dad was working his butt off just to to take care of us. And Mm -hmm. so I was just climbing trees and rocks and, um, and those trees and rocks just, weren't became not big enough for me so that uh that hunger that i've spoken about that really took me to uh to the uh you know to to colorado eventually and Mm -hmm. i just packed up my bag and moved out and and yeah then then uh the, the colorado rockies really were my playground for years and and allowed me to learn about how to stay comfortable and how to stay sharp and how to take care of people in the in the mountains and and then that sort of burgeoned into uh this this uh i, I ended up meeting uh this blind guy named eric and 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 then uh you know eric and i started to do a lot of things together a lot of a lot of objectives a lot of shared objectives and you know that took us all over the world and you yeah. know on the biggest mountains in the world and biggest rock faces in the world and that relationship you know sort of you know, grew to, to allow us to continue to try hard things. And, and, and so at that point it was, there was, there was no return. You know, I was, I was in it to win it, you know, yeah. climbing became my life. What a great, great backyard to have, uh, being in the Rockies. So yeah, I, you've, you've mentioned Everest, you mentioned Eric, and I, I definitely want to get into that. Um, but, but first I want to talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I'm sure the challenges of, climbing Everest are incredibly detailed. Um, but as the, as the Rockies is your backyard, you know, were the lessons that you learned there, things you took with you to other challenges, you know, where, where was sort of the proving ground of, of your success? Was it in the Rockies and, and were there specific times you looked at it and said, boy, that I need to remember this moment for, for, you know, taking it on to something else or to, to bigger things. Yeah, that's a great question because it was, it was, it's obviously a combination of anything. I think to be good at anything, no matter what the, the, the medium is, um, the, it's critical to do an apprenticeship, right? And to, to, to come up short and to make these mistakes. And that's why I use that whole metaphor you might remember, um, from my, from our talk was, was, you know, that life doesn't take place on the summit. Right. You know, we have this tendency to think about, think, maybe think of it that way, but really life takes place on the flanks of the mountain, on the sides of the mountain. And that's where you, that's where you learn. That's where you make mistakes. And, 
and you brush yourself off and you, you know, re-engage and, and reestablish and, and, uh, and, and re-educate and, and, and realign and do these things again so that when you do have those precious moments, those precious summits that you're, you know, as, as good as you can possibly be. So, you know, I think a lot of my apprenticeship took place in Colorado, but there was a, you know, where really where I went, you know, went to school was in Alaska. Mm. And my first trip up to Alaska was with, with, uh, with Eric in 94, I think, mm-hmm. uh, 94, 95. And I was just as green as I could be, you <laughs> know, and I was all of a sudden in the Alaska range. And, and that was an eye opener, you know, about how to really climb and how to move and take care of yourself and take care of other people. And so as a result, I ended up spending five seasons in Alaska. Um, on Denali, I, you know, I guided expeditions on Denali as well as uh, worked for the Park Service and did search and rescue on Denali for two seasons. And oftentimes I'd, I'd do them back to back. I'd do a, a month of a search and rescue and then a month of an expedition. So that was my life for a while. And the Alaska Range taught me how to, how to, how to knuckle down and take it on the chin as well as just how to, you know, how to interface with clients and patience and so i i really give alaska a lot of credit for me teaching me um all these these hard skills and soft skills necessary to take care of people so uh, i think it was was, those those fledgling years the combination of colorado and alaska really taught me a lot so i think it's easy to hear you say we climbed everest we climbed denali and um it, I, I know that there are risks inherent in that. I, I just, after talking with you and, and reading your book, uh, the risks are, are for someone who doesn't climb like me, uh, and the, the risks are incredible. I mean, just even your description of getting the plane from uh, the staging town to the base of Denali is like a hair raising plane ride <laughs> just, just to get through the gap. So, yeah. so like talk mm-hmm. a little bit about, um, just you know risk taking in general we you know what about like what risks how do you decide what risk is worth it how do you decide you know when if if fear takes over and and you choose not to risk um you know something talk a little bit about risk and your just your your perception of that yeah and you know that's a very complex uh sort of i don't even call it like a behavior the way you react to risk because we all react differently to it. Um, and so in a way, I think it's a behavior because it's how you as an individual manifest your reaction to consequence versus risk. And I find those two things very interesting. It's, you know, the, the idea of consequence versus risk um, because, you know, the consequences um, in a way can, can increase and be more profound uh, at certain stages in the in in the journey, but the risk is always there. Uh, and you know the the risk for me has evolved. Uh, the consequences are, are you know they they change they 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 move. You know my what am I looking at as far as you know flying around in a helicopter doing search and rescue on Everest or Denali and um, you know, the consequences are severe. Um, the risk is, is, is high, but the risk 
is probably different from a perception than it is in reality. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I have, I've had to, to give a lot of that thought. Now, that being said, I, I, I'm very curious about this topic and how we all react to, uh, to risk and consequence. Um, and it all changes, I think, as we age and we become more, we, we balance this, this, uh, sort of, um, quiver that we've acquired of skill sets. Because as we age, we get better at what we do. We have more experience, more wisdom, and more talent, I would think. And we understand sort of how to navigate through this gauntlet of, of challenges that we face professionally and personally. But then we have, uh, then, then we also have to balance that out with the fact that, yep, we're, we're older now. Yeah. <laughs> so with regard to climbing, like I have to understand my limitations. And, you know, I had a kid 13 years ago. And my level of acceptable risk changed significantly when, when my son was born. Yeah. Um, because prior to his birth, I mean, I was charging. And when I was in my twenties, I was pretty confident I wouldn't make it through my, you know, into my thirties. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm in my thirties now. Oh, okay. Oh, and then wait, I'm married. Oh, wait. And now we're going to have a kid. Wait, what? So, you know, it's like every adult. The whole optic of risk and, and challenge and, and consequence all sort of kind of clumped together. That being said, you know, I'm wired a certain way and my wife knows it. My son knows it. Um, that I, you know, I would be, uh, really unhappy if I didn't do things that were hard. They know that about me. And so, you know, when I go off now, the, the the I guess the metric for safety is different. So now I'm not. I haven't been climbing, you know, big eight thousand meter peaks. I've been climbing six thousand meter peaks, mm-hmm. right? And I've been, um, you know, I flew around in helicopters on Everest for uh, for two months just uh, a couple years ago, doing search and rescue. And you know that that that's pretty dangerous flying flying around in the Himalaya in a helicopter, you know, at really high elevations in questionable weather. And, and uh, matter of fact, one of the pilots I did a lot of missions with just crashed his helicopter and died about two months ago. Mm. So it happens and it happens. So, so that, that's sort of an extension of this risk. And then, you know, just last year I was asked to go lead a team in Iraq, uh, a medical team and Mosul uh, as the, as the Iraqi special operations groups were, were pushing through to eradicate ISIS out of Mosul. And that's all. And I, so I went and I spent a month there and we got attacked by ISIS and they came shooting us and dropping RPGs on us. And it was a, it, it, it was a big mess. And, it, but that's another level of risk that uh, I never would have forecasted, but it exists. And so I think my family knows that, you know, I, I tried, I do these things because, I'm hungry for adventure and I want to do, you know, challenging things, but also owe it to them to, to do my best to not be careless. And so I try to uh, evaluate my, you know, sort of my entire, uh, my, 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 my reasons, my reasoning for these missions that I take on and make sure that they're valuable and they're worthy. Uh, and that it's not just a reckless sort of, yeah, I just want to go out and just, 
see how much you know crap I can stir up. Right. You know? like, right. That that would be that would be reckless, and that would be selfish to my my wife and my son. So, yeah, it's all changed, and and it continues to change, and I think that's a good thing. Well, it reminds me of the the one story in the book where where you and your team are are standing um, on the on the mountain and, you know, essentially in a blizzard, you're like 90 minutes from summiting and, and, you know, your, your partner comes up with the, with the phrase, you know, get, getting to the summit is optional, but going home is not right. So there's the, you yeah. have to bring this, this realism to it at some point, or the, or at least the, you, you can take risks, but not be careless. I like that phrase a lot. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's it. And, you know, it's, back in the day it was different and you know i didn't I, I was hanging out with a lot of hard chargers and i still am it's just all of us hard chargers have now aged and our <laughs> spectrum has, has changed right. which is, is a good thing yeah so one of the things i think you're particularly good at is taking these experiences and bringing them to people who 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 don't have the same climbing experience, but making them relevant. So uh, around this concept of risk, I'd love to, you know, in the, in the business that we do, um, if I make a mistake, nobody dies. Right. And in, in fact, in, in most businesses that I know of um, mistakes, you know, that's not, they're not life or death things. So help, help us understand a little bit about, you know, you've, you've been through um, risks and situations that are, that are life and death situations. How do you make those things relevant to, to your audience when you're talking to them? Well, that, that's, that's the goal with my, with my speaking career, right? And to make, to make these, these experiences less about the mountains, and less about these things that I've done. That's just the storyline that that's just to, to capture the attention and to create an engaging storyline that it it's there it's like wow okay so whoa you know i, I this is it's a, this is a uh, i can i can see this picture i can see this scenario right and and so i paint that picture but then the fun and i and and i think really um uh challenging and fun thing for me is to then is to reflect on that on those experiences and take those themes and messages from those experiences and make them global, make them very, uh, in a, a very, uh, a very uh, comprehensive uh, ex- uh, learning opportunity so that it's, it's taking away from the theater and putting it right there in the kitchen mm-hmm. and saying, you know, I don't care what you do. I don't care what your, your, your background. I don't care where you operate, what your, you know, what your experiences are, but these themes of being a guy, uh, to, with the people around leading them from this place of, of, uh, of service and thinking about other people first and, 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 and acknowledging adversity when it, when it slaps you in the face and, and manifesting in an appropriate way for the people around you and communicating effectively and transparently with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues, the people in your church, the, you know, the, 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 your kids, boy scout group, you know, like right. whatever 
it, it's it, and that and that's it. If, once I really sat down and reflected on all these things and realized it's such crossover and it was this complete cross pollination to everything that I've, everything that we all go through, it made the whole thing uh, really very palatable, I think, and and fun. And so that that's my job is is to set the table so that you know a a, a person who's spent their entire life in Des Moines, Iowa, and has never really even seen a mountain, can then ultimately relate to the experiences because it's not about the mountains. Yeah. So that's the fun part in, in, for me, and I really enjoy that aspect of this whole thing as well. Um, thanks for that. I, I, have, I have a couple of very specific questions about about some of the lessons that, that we've talked about, but I think now would be a good time for you to just tell us briefly about Eric and how you guys met and um, you know, how some of that has informed, you know, your, your career really. Yeah. Well, so I, I met, well, let me tell you a little bit about Eric first. Eric is a, uh, uh, you know, was born legally blind and he had a degenerative retina disease. So his retina is unraveled. And so he could see some shapes and colors and stuff early on. And then he, at age 13, he lost all his sight. It went completely black. And, and so he started climbing, rock climbing. For some reason, his dad was a Marine. So he like threw his kid in a, you know, in a, in a camp for blind kids. And they threw these blind kids up on a climbing wall. And was like, oh, why not? And so he, he really he gravitated towards that. And then the, the rock climbing turned into mountain climbing. And then we met through a mutual climbing buddy and started climbing uh, um, early on. And then just sort of forged this friendship. And the friendship was, was what really was the bedrock of of everything that we'd ultimately go do, um, as, as things are like this, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, when you do hard things, when you do dangerous things, you know, and, and when you really have to develop that level of trust, it, it, it has to be sort of centered on this idea of, of friendship and camaraderie and, and compassion. So, you know, we, we started to do that, um, you know, uh, we've been climbing together for 25 years and, uh, have, have, attempted a lot of things and come up short on most of them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And, and we still got lots of things in the hopper, you know, we're, uh, we're still doing a lot of stuff together. Um, you know, we've got a plan for a year from now, actually next autumn, we're going to be back in Nepal together, um, attempting a mountain that, uh, that spit us off back when we used to be young and young and capable and smart and, and better looking and, all these things and now we're going to go back to this version of us and somehow we think it's going to turn out better so we'll see yeah but uh yeah that's 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 the relationship there so so i'm going to put you and eric um now in in everybody's minds on everest and Mm -hmm. uh, have have you just described to us your your concept of the of the sherpa attitude and what that what that means yeah so you know I've, i've done all these um done all these these expeditions to Nepal and, and the Himalaya for years and years and and as a result you know I've I've spent a lot of time with the Sherpa community and obviously as as, as most folks have heard of the Sherpas before uh, it's just a matter of um you know it's a matter of really understanding who they are and and what they what they stand for and how they operate you know, over years, you really learn the 
selflessness that comes from their approach towards life and work and family. And, uh, and it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a, a real, a, a real source of learning for me. Uh, so uh, this, this phrase of, of the Sherpa attitude sort of, uh, came from watching them just go out every single day and, and, and crush every day. Uh, you know, in spite of the danger that, that's always lurking around another corner, but, you know, yeah, they're doing it because it's their job, uh, but they also do it because they feel a sense of, of obligation to help folks, uh, to be there for them when they need them. And so I've just really distilled it down in my mind to this is how they, you know, they, they live day to day. And I've seen them on the sides of mountains and also in their homes and the way they operate is, um, you know, leading from a place that's, that's centered around, you know, helping other people first. And that's a very refreshing sort of approach, if you ask me. And, and, um, and once again, like I was talking about earlier, it, it really, uh, it, it really, it, it encompasses all aspects of life and it doesn't matter if it's on the mountain. It's just how they operate and how we should operate. And so they've, they've really taught me a lot about, about how to be a selfless leader, how to be a servant leader. And, and it's helped with my parenting, helped with my, uh, being, you know, being a husband and being a part of my community and all these, these different parts of, of, um, of operating because I, I, I'm constantly now because of them, because of what they've taught me, I'm now looking for ways to sort of elevate other people. Because when you do that, when you do that, and it becomes sort of your whole, your whole MO, that this really fascinating sort of uh, vapor trail comes out of it. It's, it's uh, people, people really buy in and they, they notice and it just becomes this infectious sort of attitude. And um, I'm just, I'm really grateful for what they've taught me and, and how it's changed my vision, my optic with things. And um, I, I just would encourage people to think like that because it, it undoubtedly um, serves all of us better when we think about others first. So how, can you, can you identify that attitude in other people when you, when you meet them or you work with them? Is that something you think you can identify in a meeting or do you, you know, have to be on a mountain to, to understand that, that whether people have these qualities? Well, being on a mountain is a, is a microscope, right? Mm-hmm. And it, and it also disrobes people. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I like it. It's one of the reasons why Eric and I started this program for injured vets called No Barriers Warriors, where we take injured veterans on mountains around the world because it, it is a form of rehabilitation and reestablishing purpose and fellowship and camaraderie because you know, being in the mountains is a, uh, is a, uh, it's an open playing field and it strips you down. It may take a few days, but it opens it up and you're left with who you are for better or worse. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like that. I like that place. I like the mountains and what they require of all of us. Um, but can I, do I notice it? You bet. You know, I can see that because I'm acutely aware now. I'm looking, I'm looking and I get the honor of being able to speak to different companies, different industries around the world. And, I can tell pretty quick off. What are those? Um, what are those things? That, so sorry, what, I was sorry to interrupt. What are those things that you can that you can see? Well, it's it's almost a nebulous sort of 
vibe. It's a sort of generalization that I get from how people communicate with each other, how the leadership communicates, how they tell people. So oftentimes I'm there like before the meeting starts and it's sort of how folks communicate right before the meeting, because usually it's a little frantic, you know, you got 500, a thousand, 2000 people all coming in and, you know, it's like, how does the leader operate in that time when it's a little bit edgy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how do people respond? More importantly, how do they respond to this person? And I've seen different, different variations of that. And that's all very eye opening in my mind. Uh, and, and mostly the big companies that I talk to and communicate with and work with, they do generally have a, someone in the position. That, that thinks of others first because otherwise nowadays it would, it would, it would self implode. Mm-hmm. And I think it has enough to where there people of, of, you know, organizations have realized that on a cultural level. So yeah, I, 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 I am able to sort of sense it in sort of a, a palpable way, but it, it's just a matter of the methodology of communication and sort of how the, the team uh, reacts to the tugs on the rope. Mm-hmm. And the and the finger pointing, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm just I'm just <laughs> making making a note. Uh, okay, so I, thank you for that, and I want to shift gears a, a little bit, but I also want to put you and Eric back on Everest um, and talk about the concept of VUCA. So I think you you know you you talked about this concept in terms of a specific experience on Everest, but then also your your time and in Mosul. So help us with what that concept is and then, you know, how, what, what it means and how you apply it. Right. So, you know, I, I've had these, these experiences, which, which I've alluded to, whether it's, you know, guiding Eric up all these mountains and rocks and, or, you know, flying in a helicopter in, in the Himalayas doing search and rescue or being in a combat zone, you know, in Mosul. And, uh, you know, I, I came back from that Mosul experience and was just a little bit, you know, like disheveled. And fortunately, I've got a lot of military buddies uh, that I talked quite a bit of, uh, about the experience with, which was, I think, really helpful. And then, and then of course, um, you know, did my own dive down the, the Google hole mm-hmm. and, and stumbled upon this acronym that really resonated with me. Um, and it's called VUCA, V-U-C-A. And it was a, it was an acronym that was coined by uh, the American War College in 19, late 1980s, uh, as a sort of a method to prepare their soon to be graduates, uh, for, uh, for this, you know, volatile, uncertain, chaotic, or complex and ambiguous environment that we all operate. And so, yeah, the, the, the VUCA is the acronym and it stands for Volatile, uncertain, complex, or chaotic, and then ambiguous. And it all, um, even though it was initiated by, you know, a, uh, a tactical uh, sort of, you know, combat war style school, it's been adopted and embraced by the business community. And in, in my mind, the the sort of life coach community because it really does work if you understand how to be better in the face of these 
these environmental factors, the volatility, the uncertainty of what you're going to face, the complexity of what you're going to face and what we face, and then the ambiguity. And each one of those acronyms, each one of those words, the scriptures sort of allows you to sort of prepare uh, institutionally or personally for, for how it's sure to be, which is, you know, a jump show. Uh, where adversity comes out of nowhere, landscapes, landscapes change, adversity happens. And, you know, some of the, some of the real simple takeaways, um, because it is, it's very, it's, it's a very, uh, dense topic if you really, um, unpack it. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, the, the, the real simple version is, uh, is just really, you know, teaching yourself and those around you to acknowledge, to re-engage, to adapt, to learn, to grow, and to come together in a, like a more uh, cohesive way uh, as things are spinning, um, as things are spinning sometimes out of control. Uh, and then as a leader and as a guide, how critical it is to honestly to, to be aware that people are watching how you react to these moments of uncertainty or complexity and, and folks are watching. Eric was always watching me to gauge my response when things were going sideways. He was watching because how I react, how I went is how he went. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was a great life lesson um, for, you know, for me to remember, you know, as a parent, as a colleague in the emergency department um, on the side of the mountain, as a guide, you know, Hey, this is people are watching and I need to be, not not brushing off the adversity and not walking around with my chest stuck out, you know, cocky, but a quiet confidence that permeates uh, how we do things together cohesively, even in spite of when things are are, are rough and intense. So I think that's a you know I think that's probably the thirty thousand foot view for 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 the VUCA concept. Yeah, and and it's. It- it strikes me that this is the concept that might be the origin around after a climb, you you get together with your team, whether it's three people or, or more people to to debrief on the climb, right? What went well, what didn't right. go well. I mean, there there are times in the book where you have real heart to heart conversations about about a specific climb. Is that where this came from? That that sort of meeting at the end. Well, no, that that, that what you're talking about there is really is really what would be considered an AAR and military jargon and after action report. And, you know, that's a, okay, not exactly how we planned it. Um, How can we be better? You know, how can we be better at what we just did? Mm -hmm. So those AARs were important for us um, as we started to develop stuff programmatically for the soldiers program or just after an expedition, you know, how can we be better? What can we do? And I don't, you know, it's not, that's not a, 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 a new fresh concept. I mean, I think people have been doing that, but it's a matter of requiring the team saying this is part of our mission. And we go out, we prepare for the mission, we execute the mission or the the objective, whatever it is um, that that this group is sharing, this this shared objective. And then coming back, uh, then coming back afterwards as part of the requirement and saying, you know, okay, now it's, it's time to, to to discuss it and to to really you know pull out the 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 goods and the bad and 
and try and figure out how to be how to be better. So that that's an AAR, and, and yeah, I think it's you know part of the whole team dynamic and, and how we do things. But yes, and then from a from a scale perspective, that's that's your team after a climb. I, I think you're right that that teams do that. <laughs> Maybe they don't know they're doing it, but they do it. Do you spend a lot of time with your corporate yeah. clients talking about that? Hey, this is an important part of the process. Here are some things I've learned about going through the process. And is that a topic for you with your corporate clients? Yes. Cause it, you know, once again, it, that's part of, I love the, the, the intellectual side of what I'm doing. And um, I feel like I've gotten like a crash course in an MBA over the past 17 years, just being involved in, in industries and, and learning, um, you know, the dynamic of, of, of guiding. And really, that's what it comes down to: is guiding. It's 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 part leadership, but it's also just it's that team dynamic that that is required of all of us as we as we march through. Um, and so, um, yeah, I I love that part. Um, and so, oftentimes after my keynotes, I'll we'll do a structured Q and A, or or even you know I was just with uh, with Merck Pharmaceuticals a couple of weeks ago, and you know those guys um, are have these these uh, these sort of um, uh, intense two-year leadership programs where they're really um, grooming their future leaders. And so, you know, the keynote was an hour, and the Q and A dialogue was two. So we spent <laughs> more time, you know, just sort of diving into these things, right? And institutionally and culturally, and how what it means. And yeah, that 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 stuff to me is is, is what really forms us as. As, uh, as leaders, and, and, I, and I'm going to say in a selfish way, I learned so much from from those opportunities um, about you know about these topics that I speak of. I'm continuing to learn, and uh, I think that's part of that that whole restlessness we talked about at the beginning. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I think that a- active learning certainly is a it, it, there's a restlessness to that. You know, you want to. You said you're you're curious. You know, and you're hungry, and that that to me is mm-hmm. the hallmark of somebody who who loves to learn. Um, mm-hmm. did, did you have a mentor growing up, or in your life now? Do you have a mentor? Um, yeah, I mean, I, my my grandfather was was my young mentor, uh, and he, uh, you know, who, but you know, of course, he was very. You uh, uh, what didn't have anything to do with outdoor stuff and. But he was just a good man, mm-hmm. and uh, he helped raise me. Um, and he was an extraordinary fellow. And uh, you know, it, then once I left, it was I, I kind of hopped around from from different folks who taught me a lot. Um, from the very first group that I landed with when I first moved to Colorado, taught me about climbing and sort of taught me the ropes, you know, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and, right. <laughs> and then. Um, yeah, and then I and then I you know came across uh, a guy named Mark Radlauer early on who was a, a doc and I was a tech in the emergency department and, and he was a Tufts Medical School MIT guy super smart but just as nutty as the rest of us so um, you know he kind of took me under his wing and, and taught me a lot about medicine and sort of you know sort of the funny nature of life and how to keep it real and mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was a uh, a big part of that, and yeah, and then and then, gosh, over the years, I've really just um, befriended so many extraordinary 
men and women uh, who've taught me a lot. And I, I've just tried to maintain this sort of open ear policy of, you know, asking questions and trying to learn from the people who, who, uh, you know, who, who know a lot more than I do and, yeah. and just trying to sponge it out, you know, and, and continue to, to learn from, from different folks. That's great. That's great. L- listening to people who know more than you do is um, is important. And the fact that you can identify that and, and you're not so focused on here's what I have to do, you know, that you're listening is really it's really an, a, a great skill to have and an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, yeah, it'll serve you well. Like, and I tell that to my son. It'll serve him well. Just, you know, he doesn't like to listen to his old man. So, OK, <laughs> listen to me. But there's a lot of smart people out there. Listen to them. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, I have uh, I have two sons and and both of them are we have that exact same conversation. So I'm glad glad it's not just me and <laughs> glad yeah, no. they, they listen to others. No. Um, so what what advice would you give to people starting their career? Hmm. Well, I think if you could distill down everything we've been talking about this whole talk and and uh, and. And you you would find my advice, which is, you know, lead from a place of service, right? Like look to your left and your right. I think that there's a tendency these days to just be looking out for number one and to really just sort of have this sort of blinder attitude on. And I think that's a disservice to yourself and, and other people. So if you would, you know, sort of take the blinders off and look laterally, uh, I think everyone is served better. And, and you'll find that it becomes sort of a recipe for how you operate throughout your everything you do. Um, and if that would be number one. And then number two is is and been so critical in my life is to tie your rope up to people that you trust and that you care about and that um, really with their intentions you can you 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 determine through your filtering that their intentions are good and they're right uh, and how critical that is because it's easy. And I knew this when I was a, you know, when I was a teenager and even my early twenties, just like you you link your rope to the wrong people and you pay for it mm-hmm. because you're going to fall mm-hmm. and you don't want to be questioning at that point, whether you put, you put together a good rope <laughs> team, you want to know that that rope's going to catch you, you know? And so, yeah, that's a big, that's a big part of it. And then, um, being willing to sacrifice and and uh, and um, do things that are are hard to have a chance of failure uh, and be willing to um, work through those failures and you know the idea that that um, you know success is not final ever and failure is not fatal and understanding how those dynamics play out. Uh, as you move through life that, you know, you're going to experience the highs and the lows. You know, it's a matter of being able to operate when things are high and when things are low. So I think that would probably be the, sort of the, the, uh, the, the, the suits and ups on what I would, what I would, uh, what I would encourage folks to do starting out. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much for that. I, I, I love success is not final. And failure is not fatal. I mean, what a great, what a great, uh, phrase to, to, to internalize and, <laughs> and think about from time to time because it, it definitely, yeah. uh, can feel the opposite, um, <laughs> when you're, when you're in the throes of it all. Um, sure. 
Mm-hmm. I, so I wish, Jeff, that we had uh, two more hours of this. I could sit here and talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, we don't, but I want to thank you for for the time that we've had today. I really appreciate your thoughts and, and, and the time. Uh, it's super meaningful to me and, and frankly, to, to us and, and sharing this with people. I'm just really excited to do that. Well, thanks. And yeah, you asked a lot of really wonderful questions. And once again, like those questions always get me thinking, you know, and, and, uh, it's good to percolate on things and, and contemplate. It's easy to become complacent and just kind of walk through. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's harder to do harder things. Mm-hmm. And, but in my mind, that's where the value comes out of things and where we, you know, we can become the best version of us and we can become stewards for, uh, for, you know, the other people that we, that we interface with day to day. So yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. Appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, if we can end on one lighter note, because I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, positive pessimism, which is hilarious by the way. And I was, uh, <laughs> I was, I was out with the, the Boy Scouts doing some orienteering and I was in a situation and in my head popped this phrase, which was, well, we're lost, but at least I have a cactus quill stuck in my little toe. So I was yeah. thinking about yeah. you while we were yeah. while we were doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's cold, but at least it's windy. Or <laughs> right, you know, and it's like, um, well, I'm sleeping in a snow cave, but at least I have a hole in my thermo rest. You know, <laughs> and boy, you could you could keep keep going. And then you know, Eric, the one with Eric is a. Uh, uh, well, I'm, he's blind, but at least he's slow, you know, so you can, you can use him, you can use him to, 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 to take a few jabs here and there at your, at your buddies when you want to. I love it. Obviously, you know, humor plays a role in this as well. So you can't, can't overlook that, but, uh, yeah. I just wanted to, wanted sure. to talk about that quickly. Well, thanks again, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it and, uh, look forward to seeing you sometime again. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks to you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Talent Playbook Podcast with our guest, Jeff Evans. You want to learn more about Jeff? Well, you can start at his website, jeffbevans.com. You can find him on Facebook at Jeff B. Evans, Twitter at Jeff underscore B underscore Evans. Read his book, Mountain Vision, Lessons Beyond the Summit. And he's got a new podcast with Eric Weinmere, No Barriers available where you get your podcasts. I get mine at iTunes. You can subscribe and download this podcast, the Talent Playbook Podcast, on iTunes, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on the Outmatch.com website in the Now streaming menu. Thanks to Charles Summers and Chris Gardner for the technical assistance. Our theme music is composed by Chris Gardner. Until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>